Hey, everybody. This is Patrick, the Chief Monkey and founder of Wall Street Oasis. Just wanted to first off say thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Second, wanted to make sure for any of you in the market for financial modeling training, remind you that Wall Street Oasis does have some incredible financial modeling training courses, including Excel modeling, financial statement through, you know, linking up the three statements, DCF, valuation, M&A, LBO, um, even more niche courses like 13-week cash flow, venture capital course, real estate modeling, you name it. Go ahead and check them out at wallstreetoasis.com slash courses. Thanks for the support. Hello and welcome. I'm Patrick Curtis, your host and chief monkey, and this is the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Join me as I talk to some of the community's most successful and inspirational members to gain valuable insight into different career paths and life in general. Let's get to it. In this episode, we learn how Joe used an extra year of school to get a master's in accounting in order to get another shot at recruiting and how he was able to land a relevant position to investment banking and capital markets advisory at a big four right out of school. Listen to hear how he was then able to make a successful transition to the healthcare group at Jefferies, where he stayed for two years. What he learned in his short seven-month stint after lateraling to Rothschild's restructuring group, and eventually how he ended up working in corporate development, making well into mid-six figures in his early 30s. During this chat, Joe kept harping on one thing that helped him pave his own path, and I don't think it will surprise any of you. Enjoy. All right, Joe, welcome to the Wall Street Oasis podcast. Thanks, Patrick. Thank you for having me. So it'd be awesome if you could just give the listeners a short summary of your bio. Sure. Um, so let's we'll go uh, in, in reverse order here. Currently, I'm working uh, as the vice as a vice president in corporate development at a women's health PPM um, sponsored back by Aries. Um, prior to joining Unified, I spent about five years, uh, almost six years, in the investment banking at various firms. Um, which include uh, Jeffries, Rothschild, and uh, EY Capital Partners. I actually started my career at PwC in their capital market in a capital markets group that they had just started uh, that has since dissolved. But that's basically how I started in the in the finance world before I moved on to Jeffries. Cool. And then, so when you were an undergrad, was finance always on the radar? When did you kind of think, oh, I'm going to go go this finance route? And was investment banking even on the radar then, or did you find out about it kind of? later in the game or what? Yeah, um, actually corporate restructuring was kind of um, the goal at first. I had a, an uncle who was a pioneer in uh, corporate restructuring, worked on a lot of uh, in-court bankruptcies and he's kind of a mentor to me when it's Villanova as well. So that's something um, I was interested in doing when I was younger, when I got to Villanova investment banking, it was a little bit more of a, of a sexier job. Uh, a little bit less gloomy than restructuring. So um, that was something that was heavily recruited on campus. So it just kind of piqued my interest. And that was kind of the, the route changer there. Do you remember specifically, like, did you have an internship sophomore or junior year that kind of shaped that like decision? Or did you, did you basically kind of always think, okay, I'm going to go into like capital markets specifically, or, you know, what was the thought process of like where you applied and the hit rate or the lack of hit rate. Cause I know when I applied back at Williams, I applied to like 20, 20 on campus, you know, resume drops. I probably got like 10 first rounds, three, three final rounds and one offer. 
actually a Rothschild yeah. restructuring. So like, what was it like for you and how did that kind of, yeah. Work? So I, when I was in college, it was actually in the, the, the post the, the year of the uh, big financial crisis. So uh, we went from having a lot of banks on campus to basically zero. So uh, I kind of went a pretty unorthodox route um, just to kind of work. I worked at actually AIG for two years as a as an underwriter uh, for an internship. I've uh, got a full-time offer there. I wasn't really satisfied with that. So I actually stayed on to Villanova for an extra year to do my master's in accountancy, um, which then opened up a lot more doors for me because then the, at that point, the market had turned around a bit um, and there was a lot of lot more um, kind of targeted recruiting to some of our uh, master's in accounting and master's in finance programs. Um, and I just wind up falling into one uh, at PwC. I was doing an ex kind of an externship there, which is part of the master's in accounting program. Um, and they happen to be starting a new group within, within their capital markets team, which is their investment bank. Uh, they had started a new group that had, they had recruited some folks from various bulge bracket banks to basically try to kick off this capital markets advisory practice, um, which I interned with and uh, wound up liking it. So they had hired me right out of uh, the program. Well, do you do you recommend that if if we go through like a a global pandemic or a global financial crisis, do you recommend taking an extra year and getting the, the masters for a lot of kids like right now thinking about hey should I go get the masters? Do you think that's a good yeah, place to I would hide? Yeah, I absolutely do. I, I actually have another friend that did the same thing. He didn't get the looks he wanted um, right out of school for investment banking, and he wound up taking an extra year um, and did a, a second degree and wound up landing a. a an internship just via networking and just having a little bit more time and focusing on what he wanted to do with Bank of America and their healthcare group, which is obviously a very strong group. So, yeah. And did you, so when you were like actually thinking about this, this additional year and uh, it was a master's, correct? In, in accounting. Yeah. When you were thinking of that, what was the thought pro like, when did you finally make that decision? It was like junior year leading to senior and you didn't have the right internship that you wanted or what, what was like that final moment? You're like, okay, I'm just going to do an extra year. Like yeah, I, I think, you know, nowadays it's a little bit more structured where folks uh, and, and kids coming into school realize they need to have a sophomore and junior internship at, at a certain bank. That's the highest the hit rate for getting a, for having that turn into a full-time job. That wasn't really as structured when I was in school. Um, it was like internships weren't, still weren't necessary. We're talking 10, 15 years ago now. Um, but, you know, obviously they were still still prominent and you could still do an internship somewhere else and get another job. So it wasn't as structured as it is today. Yeah, um, I would say the uh, probably my senior year when I started interviewing for banks, a lot of the deterrence and uh, the negs that I would get were basically I didn't have any internship experience that directly related to investment banking, so I was kind of at a disadvantage. Yep. Um, so I, I just kind of took it upon myself to figure out what it is that I needed to do, and uh, really the key was modeling experience. Um, I had some of it; uh, it was more educational than obviously in practice. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that I thought would make more sense to get a, a kind of a deeper a knowledge base in would be the, the statements and how they flow together, which is why I chose accounting, even though I have an undergrad in finance and accounting. Mm -hmm. um, so I just chose accounting over finance just because I, that was just more, uh, I thought it made more sense for me. And that's where I, was, I felt like I was weaker. Um, that's really the built rationale. I chose accounting over a, a master's in finance. Cool. So like you're coming into senior year, you're, you weren't getting the, you're getting you weren't getting the jobs you wanted or the offers you wanted. So you're like, I'm just going to re up, do another year and have another crack at like networking and so that. So how did you approach like that networking? Were you 
at this point it was 2012 ish probably were you like just attacking linkedin or was it not big enough then how were you how were you just like doing all of yeah that? uh i first place i went to was like friends family uh and then just basically went to the database that villanova had at the career center and just probably sent call it 250 emails a week um to various folks and you know, got like a 2% hit rate of people answering. And then it was mostly people saying, thanks for reaching out, but I can't help you. But, you know, it, it's, it's a lot of, it takes a lot of uh, uh, persistence for sure. Um, but I, I think once you have your story right, once you're focused on what it is that you want to do, it's a lot easier to narrow it down who you should be network, networking with. Um, what was and- your story? How, what was your pitch kind of coming into that? You're like, oh, I'm getting a major in, I'm getting a master's in accounting. I'm strong here and I'm strong. And I know what I want to do now, blah, blah, blah. Or what was your pitch? Yeah, it was just, it, that's, that's basically it. It was just like, hey, I'm really interested in doing this. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do going through school, but like after, you know, a, a few internships and obviously like a couple of hurdles that we had to jump over because of the, the situation with the market, uh, the job market's opened up now. I just wanted to see what was available if you were interested in, in chatting with me. And then, you know, every once in a while, I'd get a couple uh, you know, first round interviews and, you know, um, I kind of got, I got my ass kicked on a couple of the first ones and I learned, <laughs> I learned quickly that, you know, it's, it's all about reps, right? You, you kind of get embarrassed your first couple of times you do it. And then you, you get, you realize like how studying for these interviews are like studying for a midterm or a final, right? You really have to be prepared. So I made sure I, I was prepared anytime I had the opportunity, but one thing oh, I, I learned, I bombed, I bombed many, many an IB oh. interview. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> I didn't know. Say, one piece of advice for sure is that it's a lot easier to get a job, especially an entry level job when you're still in school. So that's uh, why I, I um, encourage kids if they're not ready uh, to, they're not really sure what they're doing and they kind of figured it out a little too late. It doesn't hurt to do get an extra degree or stay an extra year if you can feasibly afford it um, because it just opens up a lot more doors and you can kind of spend that year focusing on not only another degree, um, but focusing on networking and, and, you know, you don't have your student loans coming in and all that other nonsense and all that noise that you need to, to deal with. So it's just, it's, you know, it's just a, a way to kind of pro, or, or to, to keep yourself in the, in the hunt. Yeah, for sure. So tell me a little bit about that, um, that year. So you're, you said you're sending about 200, 250 emails a week to mostly alums or in other people, you're getting about a 2% response rate. Sounds about right. <laughs> and yeah. a lot of more like no sorry but did, did did that did those networking efforts actually did that lead to the actual offer at pwc or did what was what was the actual breakthrough was it through friends or family what was it no it actually did um i i had reached out to one of the guys uh he was very high up at pwc and he was kind of leading the effort to start this uh capital markets advisor group which was part of the corporate finance team he uh kind of oversaw that group, but he worked in the, he worked in the uh, LLP. Um, so it was interesting. And we just, we kind of hit it off. He was uh, a very big Villanova advocate. He was very high up in PwC and he kind of was the decision maker there. Mm-hmm. So I kind of just, you know, jumped over a couple of, uh, of hurdles there and uh, was kind of put at the front of the line and was introduced to the guys who'd be running that, that group there. And, uh, you know, it just wound up working out pretty well. Interesting. So yeah, you were there for uh, about a year. Um, tell me a little bit about kind of how you started thinking about, okay, I'm in this capital markets advisory business at a big four. Tell me how, about how you thought about investment banking at like a boutique and, and why, you know, why you jumped or when you started kind of prepping for that jump. Yeah. I mean, I, 
I can credit a lot of it to the guys that I worked for. They were pretty good mentors. They had all worked at uh, large bulge bracket banks or um, kind of elite boutiques. So um, when we spent a lot of time working together, they kind of knew that I was hungry and I was willing to work hard. And, um, you know, they gave me opportunities to go and do modeling training um, via a third party, which wasn't available for at, at PwC. And, um, you know, some kind of outside outside forces were causing the group to shake up a little bit. That was completely out of my control. It's just, there was a lot of headbutting with the, the guys that were hired in the group and the guys and, and the, the legacy guys at PwC. So as the writing was on the wall there, some of those guys were leaving. They, they were like, ready. they were nice enough to pull me aside and say, Hey, you know, this isn't working out for us. Yeah. We're going to leave. So, you know, we want to, uh, you're, we think you make a really good analyst and a more traditional investment bank um, and, and program. And we think you benefit from that. So, um, they kind of gave me free reign to use their leverage, their networks and, um, leverage my own and just leverage what I've learned over the couple of years uh, or over the couple of months or in the year I was there, uh, which you don't realize how much you learn when you put your head down for a year and you pick it back up and, you know, you're in an interview and, you know, stuff just starts pouring out of your mouth. <laughs> you had no idea. <laughs> you're, you're pained. Um, uh, and yeah, when I went, I, I, I actually got a few offers and, uh, Jeffrey's healthcare, which is a very strong group. And, uh, it was through that networking that I did actually prior to taking the job at PwC that I stayed in touch with one of the guys at Villanova that happened to know my uncle. And he actually didn't have a job for me, but he ran into a, a guy on the, that he goes, um, he goes down to the Jersey shore in the summer and he was happened to be next to this kid on the beach and he worked at Jeffries and they hit it off and he told him about me. So it was, it, it was, it was really cool how everything like came together. Uh, so you never know, even though, it, you know, if you network with somebody and they might not, might not have something for you, um, but you know, if you make a, a good impression, um, and you, you kind of just genuinely, you, you're a genuine person and you seem like a, you'd be a hard worker. You don't know what kind of, uh, what kind of network they might have and they might not be able to leverage for you. So it actually worked out well. And that guy I still talks to you know, every six months, you know, we, we stay in touch. It's just kind of a, it, it's a two-sided relationship when his, uh, when his son needed some help and he wanted to get an investment banking, he didn't really have the contacts like I did anymore. And. I was able to help him out. So it's just, you know, it's, um, it's, a, it's a give and take. It's, it's nice. all about, you know, properly networking. And I just kind of got very good at it. So nice. Yeah. So tell me about like where you think you kind of were struggling the most when you first started networking and then kind of what, what made you more comfortable? Obviously like you get better at interviews, you get better at the technicals. And like you said, after a year working, it's much easier because things just start, you start talking about deals you were on and it's just easier. But what, like, yeah, how could kids do before they had that deal experience, before they have any of the full-time experience, what could they do to, like, get more comfortable, just reps, or is there anything else? Yeah, I mean, reps is always the best way to do that. I mean, your first interviews are always going to be, like, educational. It's just, it, I would say take a step back and don't memorize the things that you're you're basically trying to retain. Yeah, it's actually learning, because what happens is if they if you start regurgitating things that you know, how do you get, how, walk me through how you get the EBITDA, walk me through evaluation, all, all that. If they realize that you're just regurgitating, they're going to start pulling different pieces. And it's like, if one thing moves, what moves? So it's really understanding what, what pieces move. Um, but I think honestly, nothing more than reps. I mean, you're, you're going to get some, some pretty obscure questions and things you're not going to know. And it's okay not to know. Um, one thing I learned is just don't just, just spit out an answer. <laughs> it's just, it's just, you know, be confident and say that you, you may not that you may not know and they'll get back to them or whatever it is. Same thing in real life when that applies. You don't want to say something that's wrong. You'd rather say something that you just admit that you don't know and be genuine. It seems to go a lot longer than just making up an answer uh, and just getting all flustered. Um, but yeah, I, 
I think unfortunately reps is just, even if it's a job you may not want or may not be your first, first job, as many reps as you can, you can get as many interviews as you can get. You're going to learn a lot from every interview, just like life. You're going to make mistakes and you're going to learn from them. That's, that's, you know, it took me probably 10, 15 interviews until I was like comfortable with, and of course, like a year of the work experience, which I, you know, kind of took on myself to spin it the way I wanted to to sound and it, and it, and it worked. So. How did how did you spend like a capital markets advisory role to to be more attractive to banks for those looking to make a similar transition, like to a healthcare yeah, so I mean, to like a, an actual product or an industry group rather? Uh, I focused on a lot of the training that I did. Um, you know that was was educational, but I took that modeling training course that uh, I, I focused on that, and there was a lot of uh, modeling in practice. It was a little bit more esoteric than just like a traditional G- DCF or something like that. So I, I focused on the deals that I worked on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just, made sure that what I did, what I had on my resume, resume was truthful to what I did. For, for a lot of entry-level jobs, as long as you kind of seem like you're, uh, you have some, some, sort, some sort of business acumen um, and some sort of like, uh, uh, you know, finance knowledge, that could be leveraged into training, especially for the bigger banks where they have formal training programs. Right. Um, what you don't want to do is say you, you, you build DCFs all day long and then they walk you to have you walk through a DCF and you just kind of fall flat on your face because they're going to know you're lying. Yeah. Um, so I, I was just kind of truthful in what I did, but like focused really on the, the, the finance portion of what I did, the modeling, the modeling portion, uh, the presentation building uh, portion and kind of just the other noise. I was more like accounting heavy. I just threw that to the side. So you kind of made your resume look a little more finance heavy than accounting. You didn't like, even though you had the master's yeah. in accounting, you weren't like flashing it at the top of the, page or anything right like that. yeah okay so so you make it over to, to jeffries tell me a little bit about your two years there that's a that's a crazy run for uh, an analyst <laughs> the two-year program is known as like a three or four years of work experience right um so tell me what that was like just uh going through that and that transition from a big four to a you know you know boutique yeah i mean um i think the 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 time I spent at PwC, given that I was on the only analyst, it kind of taught me to be a little bit more resourceful. Um, and, you know, I, I was I was working decent hours, maybe 65 to 70 hours. So it was just prepared me to take that next step of the extra 20, 30 hours or so. So it was a good kind of uh, uh, bridge, I guess, into, into that world. But you didn't think uh, that was like brutal, like having a life after college where you're in the city working 60, 70 hours and then having to go up to 85, 90. <laughs> I mean, to me, it's almost <laughs> it like you tasted fun, a little bit of freedom and like fun and then you're like <laughs> thrown into it. I don't know. Yeah, to me. I think that what, what made it a little bit more palatable was that, um, I mean, the group was 105 people or something like that in healthcare alone. So like 30 of them were my peers. So we were like kind of all in together and you made a lot of good friends. You spent a lot of time together. And of course, like, Nobody wants to be printing books at 4 a.m. and like shipping them to your empty at five uh, and like getting them to getting them on the plane five minutes before like he's supposed to take off. But, you know, it's just it, it's it's been described as like the best time you never want to do again. Right. So you, you build these like lifelong relationships and you build like a network, with a lot of folks, but you learn so much when you're doing it. It's, it is miserable. And I mean, there's, there's no doubting that. But, it, you know, when you're working 90 plus hours a week with with people that you like and your peers and everyone's kind of in the same situation mm-hmm. it becomes a little bit more palatable, I think. So. Yeah. And so then tell me a little bit about kind of the, the thought process as you proceed there. I'm sure, I'm sure you got some great deal experience, but just tell me about like how you started thinking about your next step and 
was it like year after you were done with the first 12 months there, you're thinking, were you thinking private equity? Were you thinking corp dev? Were you, what were you, you know, another bank? Obviously we know you ended up at another bank, but tell me about the thought process there. Yeah. A little over probably a year, close to a year and a half in, uh, you know, everyone started looking into different private equity gigs and that's just, you know, we, you know, that becomes kind of a, it's a tough process in itself. You're working so much and you're trying to interview and, you know, a lot, a lot of the interview is predicated on because there's you have only so much experience. So these, the, 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 just to get your foot in the door over there, it's a, lot, it's a lot of it's predicated on what school you went to and your GPA. So, you know, some people are getting more looks than others, even though they may not be as experienced. So it's, it's, it's kind of a, it's a game you have to play. And I, I was just so busy. I, I was doing some, some interviewing for PE. Do, do you feel like you're on it? Do you feel like your undergrad GPA held you back? If you had, I don't know what your, what your undergrad GPA was, but do you feel no, like my GPA was fine. I would say, um, Villanova is just not a target school. I mean, I think now it's a little bit more regarded and there's a lot more banks that are recruiting on campus now. Um, but, you know, at, at Jeffrey's, uh, let's say, you know, Villanova was like the bottom of the, the bottom of the top of the school. So we were at, we were at like the bottom rung. So you basically had, once we had the interview, we had to separate ourselves and that's, you know, it's just kind of how life goes. The, the Harvard kids are going to get get the first interviews, and then you know the Vanderbilt kids and the Virginia kids, and then the, the Villanova kids are are, are lagging behind. But did you did you try to actively recruit for private equity in that second year, or were you just kind of just taking any? Yeah, yes and no. I wasn't completely sold on it. Uh, one thing I did want to do was, um, you know, when the, our group was there was a lot of turnover going on at Jeffries, and it made the you know there was a lot a lot of transparency from the senior guys. So a lot of the guys were either leaving to go to a different bank or going to private equity. So I just thought it was kind of an, the inflection point for me to, you know, I always wanted to try restructuring. Rothschild was actively recruiting me in their restructuring group. They have a you know, very strong restructuring practice. They sold me on a bill of goods that, you know, didn't come to fruition, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so it was just, you know, I just kind of, a lot of the guys I was working with at Jeffries that I liked, um, seemed like they were leaving or had left. Um, and I was, I really wanted to focus on M&A. I started getting more like equity follow-on type deals that I didn't want to do. So it wasn't really what I was, it, it was kind of the, what I the work I was doing at Jeffries was really shifting. Uh, and I was working with different people um, and I just wasn't as comfortable there anymore. Um, I just thought an opportunity to go elsewhere and try something different, thinking the grass would be greener. It wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know I worked at the I worked in the restructuring group, obviously a lot, a lot longer time ago with the gray, the gray beard shows it. But uh, 02 to 04, um, I know it was a really hard working group back then. I assume um, same kind of some of the guys were, st were still there um, that we both worked. Yeah. I think we had compared notes before we first chatted. But tell me a little bit about that. So like the grass is greener thinking you thought the lifestyle would be better. You thought the deals or you thought restructuring would be interesting because it was just a different, like you'd get like the, I don't know, more knowledge on like different uh, dead instruments. Like what, what did you think of like, Oh, I'm going to go restructure. Yeah. I think the real, the real focus was on the capital structure. I wanted to get like a, a more kind of a detailed experience and in-depth experience on the capital structure itself and different debt instruments. And just learn something different. Um, I mean, I was kind of sold on the fact that they were starting a healthcare group and they were going to promote me and all these other things that didn't come to come to fruition. If we, you know, when you when you kind of got there, you realize that seven other kids just started on the same day as you. They just couldn't stop the bleeding because kids weren't lasting more than six to eight months. So it was just kind of a bunch of of uh, 
of lateral hires that they were just trying to stop the bleeding because there was a lot of work and there wasn't a lot of people that could that wanted to stay and and you know hedge funds and distressed funds were actively recruiting kids from Mousetrial six months out of their program so it was easy to so get ki- out so kids that were kids that were coming in for a two-year program were getting taken away within six months you're saying or eight months six to 12 months yeah no i don't think anyone i i know lasted more than a year back when i was there it was 12 of us i think and i think there were three of us at the end of the two years three or four yeah um yeah i don't think anyone was there for the whole two-year program it was all lateral hires by the time like my class got in wow so not an easy group not an easy group they do a lot of they do a lot of revenue and they do (laughs) a lot of deals so it's not an easy group so tell me about like as you started realizing because like you must have realized within a couple months you're out of there within six seven months you must have realized within a couple months, like, this isn't, this isn't going to work. Was it mostly like first day you're like, Oh, Oh shit. Like everyone's lateral here. Like, did that, did that actually trigger in your head? Like day one, or did you realize later on, like, wait, nobody's actually here from the two-year program. What, what kind of was like yeah, that? Yeah. I gave it a couple months. I mean, I got put on some pretty tough deal teams and I was, uh, you know, it was, it was more the culture, like spending a couple once you spend a couple of weeks somewhere, you kind of get an idea of what the culture is like. And it just wasn't, didn't really jive with my personality. Jeffries was like a much more, um, you know, uh, for lack of a better term, fratty environment with a lot, lot more athletes and a lot more, uh, a lot more fun. It was less like white shoe where Ross Stroud was much more white shoes, like much more of a backstabbing culture, which I wasn't used to at Jeffries. So, you know, from my, my only experience was really PwC and Jeffries. And from my understanding, Jeffries healthcare was one of the toughest groups to work for on the street. So I didn't think I would join one of the very few that were worse. <laughs> so, um, oh, that's hilarious. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was about to say like you almost did three years at like two of the toughest places <laughs> on the street. Like what are you trying to like, are you trying to, are you trying to like uh, burn out early? Like what was the deal? So, okay. So, so you're coming, you're a couple, you're a couple months in and you're thinking like, okay, screw the restructuring thing. This is just crazy. Like I can't, I'm not yeah, going to survive. It was, it was a combination of the people and the work. I think the work, it was a little bit gloomy for me. It was, um, it was very obviously driven by, uh, the legal system and the bankruptcy and bankruptcy courts and all this. And I just wasn't interested in that. It was a lot more reading than it was actual like modeling. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just really wasn't what made me tick. And it, again, you're dealing with people that are just upset all the time because their business is going under. And yeah, um, and I was working on a variety of different industries. So I wasn't really specializing in something, and I just kind of missed. It, it, again, another inflection point for me is like I liked healthcare. I liked working with more middle market, smaller middle, lower middle market companies, which at Rothschild were working on much larger deals. Um, and um, you know, I, I just did some networking again and thought, you know. I, what I what I ultimately want to do is um, get back into healthcare. Whether I go to the private equity route or I go the corp dev route, I don't know. But it's get some more some more experience in healthcare. Jeffries was more of a broader healthcare. So I've worked on some large deals. As you became a more kind of revered analyst, they run bigger deals, which I actually didn't like when I first started. They put you on the smallest deal teams and the smaller deals. I actually liked that better working with the kind of founder owned, uh, more entrepreneurial companies. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to find a bank and maybe a boutique bank that focused more on that lower middle market um, space because it, there was a lot more deal flow, it was a lot more underserved. You're getting more in the weeds. You're not just working for a business development team and you're really working with the, the folks that built a practice or helping them build a practice. Yeah. Um, so after doing some networking with folks um, that I worked with at Jeffries and the network that I've built thus far, um, 
there was a guy who basically was starting this group at EY and their healthcare group. He used to work with one of, the, one of my old colleagues at Jeffries that uh, I think at Citigroup. Um, and they were looking for uh, kind of associate, senior associate to come on board and, and basically train. They had some really good analysts there that came really through the, um, the EY ranks. And they were just really smart, smart, um, sharp guys but they just didn't have that formal training uh, and they were a little bit raw, uh, a little bit green as far as like building the proper presentations and, and right. And proper etiquette and all that. So really that was like, that was the mandate to come in and really focus on, you know, whipping the kids into shape and, and having them understand like things that, you know, as far as building the model and presentation properly and the right attention detail all the way to like proper folder structure. Um, so that mm-hmm. that was really that was really it, and and in doing so, part of part of being on that small team also allowed me to run deals by myself as I got a little bit more experience. Mm-hmm. And uh, for once, that actually all all of what was promised to me came to fruition. So I, I got a you know I got a title bump. I got a little bit more experience. Uh, I got it was a little bit more entrepreneurial because I was helping build a group, and then I was you know kind of running meetings by myself, management meetings. Working, you know, sitting um, on site at, at some of my clients that I was working with, um, helping them, you know, build their business, making it more efficient, basically putting a bow on it so we could sell it to a sponsor. Yeah, uh, which was much, much more different than I was doing before. Um, and I really, I really enjoyed that experience. Um, which, when I realized when I started selling these founder-owned, uh, and it was a lot of it was physician services. I was selling these large physician practices to the initial sponsor. I realized these guys were making a ton of money. I was like, well, this is pretty interesting. I think this is actually a little bit more interesting to me than just going to be an investor at a private equity fund. I'm, like, I'm really getting into the weeds of building a business from scratch. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was really the uh, the thought process there when when wanting to move over to kind of a sponsor-backed um, you know, corporate development role because just you're, you're doing, it's like killing two birds with one stone. It has a little bit of that private equity element in there, but you're working on the operational side. So you're getting... Um, kind of two different experiences and did you feel and it's, like it's a lot more fast paced and there's, you know, the, obviously the, the, uh, the equity component that every couple of years you're going to get an equity by payout and all that. So it was just a little more interesting to me. That's kind of, it took me a little while to get there, but that's when I ultimately figured out that's what I wanted to do. Cool. Yeah. Let's talk about that in a little bit, but tell me a little bit about the, the pit stop at Rothschild to, to EY. Like, do you feel like that hurt you that little pit stop or do you feel like, um, like when you started talking to people and you were trying to jump so fast, cause I know people will find themselves in that position where like they jump and then they're like, Oh, that was a mistake. Yeah. I think it goes back to just, you know, you have to be open and honest and say, Hey, you know, I screwed up. This is what I did. And I was kind of pitched a bill of, a bill of goods here and it just didn't come to fruition. And, you know, and then you, you use that. And what I say is like, Hey, just what it was, it was, it was really, it was a reminder that I liked healthcare and it, it was that, it kind of drove me to realize what it is that I actually enjoyed. Right. Um, and some people will basically, you know, tell me to go pound salt and some people just be open to the idea. But, you know, I think a lot of, once you get the right experience, um, it's all about networking. I think networking is the biggest driver and biggest door opener out of anything that I've ever done. It's just like, I've never had any issues with people will say, well, why would you go to these brand name banks to another one? I, I, you know, and I, I honestly tell people that I've got, the experience I got at EY was a hundred times better than anything I had in the past because it was real life experience, ex- experience that I wouldn't have got at a large bank for many, many, many years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And- you were running, you were running deals like, and you're only a couple, really only had like two and a half years of 
Right. It was just like I was given as much slack as I was capable of, as opposed to just kind of being a cog in the wheel and kind of being have this structured set of, of skills that you're allowed to do. And, and it was, uh, you know, it, it wound up propelling my career a lot, pretty, pretty forward, pretty, pretty quickly. And uh, I'm in a really good position where I am now, where, you know, I'm by far the youngest person on the management team um, where I am today. And I'm constantly getting calls every day um, for other opportunities. Uh, I would say probably three or four a week. So I mean, everything wound up working out pretty well. It's just what I what I consistently do is uh, is is networking, networking, and networking, and networking. That's that's all I do. Even when I'm not looking for a job, it's just always meeting people and always just continuously learning something new. So I want to, so, but I want to push on that a little bit. So like specifically the jump. To, so you were able to kind of overcome that little pit stop, or we'll call it a speed yeah. bump, speed bump, and you like got into EY and you were doing really good work what was the thought process of like just sticking around? Why then jump onto the, like a corp dev? Why not stick around, build that group more, get up? Did you feel like you were capped more and you let you, you saw that the, you, you said something that you saw people were making a lot of money. You meant the physicians were making a lot of money or the private equity firms yeah. that were rolling these up were both. making a lot of money. <laughs> yeah. It was a combination of both. And there was like, there was no like shortage of, of deals in that space. Right. So <clears throat> basically like, what I, I got a lot of point, runway, there was a ton of runway for that. You meant. Yeah, exactly. And uh, it just so happened that my the, it, my managing director and partner got they were getting bought out by a by a consulting firm at that at that time too. So they they had gone to a consulting firm, uh, and I was one year away from getting promoted to vice president. So I, I did some kind of soul searching and talk and, and talking to some other folks and saying like I've heard you know you know mixed reviews about if you once you go to the vice president. Um, level of banking, you're kind of starting to pigeon, pigeonhole yourself as, as an advisor. It's harder to get out. Uh, my bosses told me the same thing, and and they were honestly they were very supportive. And they they actually pushed me that way. They said honestly, like you're you're too smart to be a banker for the rest of your life. Like go go work on the the operating side. And they were like, you know, the, the landscape of investment has changed over the years. If I can go back in time, like I would do that too. Um, they said at my level, it's really hard to do. I think it's a pretty significant pay cut. You're at you know you're at you're at the perfect age to do that. So you know, there was a lot of support to do that internally. And then I've, I've gotten a lot of the same feedback when I'm starting to um, reach out to mentors and other folks in, uh, in my network itself and asking that same question. So it seemed like the right move. Cool. Can we talk about pay for a second? Like just in terms of ranges, you don't have to give us specifics, but like about the pay yeah. cuts or what you took along the way. So obviously PwC to Jeffries, I assume was a big pay bump because you probably had a much bigger bonus initially coming yeah. up. So that was what, like 70 base for PwC around there, 60, 70, and then it, it jumped to like 80-ish at Jefferies? Uh, yeah, I think the pay structure just went up. So I came in at 80, it was 85, 90, 95 was when okay. I, I came in at uh, as a second year. So 85-ish. So. Okay, and then bonus was pretty good for you those couple of years, like around 50 to 70% or? Yeah. I think it was higher than that. I think my first bonus was, it was prorated because I didn't have a full year the, the first one in, but it was uh, prorated at 75,000, whatever. So, so yeah, almost a hundred. Oh, so That's pretty, yeah, pretty close. Pretty good for kind of your second year analyst. Okay. And then um, when you jumped to Rothschild, you obviously didn't get a full bonus, right? Or you didn't get any bonus. So you were kind of like, um, <laughs> did you get a bump in I base? Have, like, were you a senior? Were you considered a third year? Yeah, I got a bump in base, and I was supposed to get a bump uh, that joined right before um, the analyst year turned. So I was supposed to get bumped up to basically do like a half of a third year and then jump to associate, which didn't happen. And then the bonus that they promised me was like half of, <laughs> of what they uh, 
promised me, so I wasn't thrilled about that. Oh, man. But, but okay, and then not so, exactly the, the, the best story. So that was not super helpful. For the <laughs> and so the jump to E and Y. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. I assume that's a pay cut, right? Well, I mean, maybe not because Rothschild was paying you, so <laughs> wasn't paying up. But like um, from Jeffrey's, especially. Well, I got hired as a second year associate, so uh, their scale was a little bit lower, but. I jumped to, I think my first year was 125. Mm-hmm. Um, my first year bonus was 100 grand. So it wasn't, oh, it was big. Yeah, it was, I that's mean, pretty good for, for, we, we did some pretty good deal work. And I mean, I, I worked out a pretty good deal with them just because we were so lean and, uh, you know, a lot of what I could bring to them was pretty valuable and they just didn't have the time to do it. So I, you know, I got treated pretty well there. That's awesome. Yeah. And then tell me a little bit, then. So the thought process that you see your networking, they were encouraged, they were really encouraging to do the corp dev thing. Tell me a little bit about the process of like, okay, first off, did you have to take a big pay cut when you jumped? Um, since we're on pay. Can you answer that first before? Uh, we move I, on? Yeah. So I, I negotiated a pretty good salary. So I, I started here at like 175. So it wasn't a pay cut from a salary standpoint, just the bonus structure is obviously much lower. Yeah. Um, so my first year, I think the bonus was like supposed to be twenty percent, but I kind of uh, I think I got like token like thirty five percent or something like that, just because I did good work and it was like pretty clear that they got me first deal, so I got promoted like within nine months. So nice. Um, and then my salary, then my salary bumped up um, pretty significantly. So I'm yeah. a completely different structure. And then, um, yeah, and, and then I, specifically I, for that, so um, tell me about like why. Like you wanted to, were you only specifically focused on going to corp dev at private equity backed companies? And then how did you find this opportunity? I mean, like now were you, you knew Harvey on networking. I agree. But just tell me like how you even came across this and how you knew like this was a good spot because you had just made, you had already made a step before where you were promised things. How did you get more comfortable that this wasn't going to happen again? Um, you know, honestly, I was just, um, it's just really feeling the people out. Um, you have to just kind of trust the person that, uh, is making these promises to you obviously get anything you can do in writing it's a lot easier to do that when it's in writing um, but yeah I mean I, I think what I've learned is over the years it's not just going for the job you think you want it's like you have to really focus on the people that you'll be working with to decide whether you're going to be happy or not and um, I just knew that a lot of these places that I was looking at were really rewarding folks on merit as opposed to time being there so it was just a lot easier for me to jump forward if I did a good job. And that's, you know, kind of how it panned out for me. Um, so, I mean, I've been here for two years now. I'm on uh, about to get my second promotion. Um, we just signed a deal uh, for, our, you know, I, I got equity in, in my after my first promotion and the deal that we just signed with a new capital partner, you know, I'm getting my payout for that too. So, um you know, Can you explain like how that works? Like, cause I think that's a, that's, I'm super curious cause I have no clue. I never worked for, yeah. pri- I, I worked in private equity, but I'd never worked for a private equity owned business. So I don't know how the other side, people working within there and doing, running the yeah. M&A within there, how, how that works. I know if you, obviously if, if the PE firm sells or sells you guys, right. Sells the whole piece, you guys get a payout, right. Obviously. Cause there's big, there's yeah, uh, yeah. So basically, how it works is if you get hired at a certain level, of money, and that was one of the uh, one of the things that was attracted to working for a private equity uh, backed healthcare company or any company is that um, if you do get equity, you know that there's an, an inevitable exit, and part of that exit, there's generally some sort of tag along right that you have, and some sort of change of control um, that comes with that. So 
every couple of years, you know, you're working for a, obviously you're growing, it's a growing company. So it's going to be a very deal flow heavy uh, job, which is obviously good for getting more reps and more experience. Um, but also every couple of years, as opposed to going to a, like a large corp dev, um, your equity is actually, it, it actually best into cash as opposed to like some like arbitrary, you know, vesting period and some like strike price that may never happen. And you're, so it's just, it was, it was more realizing dollars. Um, and then not only that is that uh, if you have, but so, there, are they, are, so there are just options specifically that are vesting and the price, because you're raising, you're raising new capital, new rounds at, at certain prices. That's, that's basically locked in. Yeah. Right? So, so essentially your the equity is valued at whatever, like, you know, whatever they recently did an equity value uh, evaluation. Uh, mine was, valued at like $500,000 was my hurdle rate. So anything over that, I was in the money. Um, and we sold for, you know, 3X that. So then some of those- So you're psyched. It's so cool. <laughs> <laughs> it more psyched, but. <laughs> uh, so there was, um, yeah, I mean, it, it depends on the, on the, on the structure, but a, a pretty like kind of vanilla structure is if the, if, you know, if, if private equity sponsor A, who currently owns the practice sells 70%, you can sell, there's a change of control, right? That you could sell up to the amount that they sold. So the tag along right is up to 70%. Depending on how, how, how it's structured, that's like probably the most simple one. Um, sometimes you get like incentive units based on performance and there's different hurdles based on MOIC. But um, for the most part, that's basically, that's literally, I just, I got a new equity package today and that's exactly how it was structured, which, you know, it's, it's incentivized by, the hurdles of the MLIC, and then you know, there's like a, there's a time based portion, and every kind of you know half a turn on the MLIC, I get an extra percentage. Nice. So it's just incentivized for for us to work. So you're like go go go. They want you to just go <laughs> and close deals. <laughs> right. Uh, no pressure. No pressure. So yeah, your day to day. Tell me a little bit about that, and then we'll wrap it up. Maybe some final words of wisdom. But like day to day, anything? Yeah. I mean, my day to day is it different? Yeah. Um, I, I, I have a really good report. My CEO, I, I currently don't, I directly report to the chief development officer, but I, I kind of just, just given the nature of like what my skills have brought to the company. So what I've learned over the years is all that work that I kind of put in over, um, in investment banking is you build a skill set that you may think a lot of people have because you are always around your peers and they all, everyone has the same skill set. But when you bring it to the, you know, the real world or to the corporate world, very few people have that skill set. So it made me kind of invaluable here where I did other things outside of just traditional M&A. And when you work for these kind of these growth companies that are sponsored back, they're everyone, it's, they're generally pretty lean. Um, so if you can do, you can wear a lot more hats if you're capable and if you, you kind of get in with the right people. So I do, the, I do a lot of strategy stuff. I do a lot of ad hoc stuff for my CEO. Um, I'm actually transitioning to a more strategy role after this. So um, that's cool. My day-to-day really was really focused on obviously um, planning new states in the ground in, in new states. So but looking at larger practices in new states so we can ba- basically have a presence in a new state mm. and we pay a higher multiple for those. And then we basically look at smaller practices and roll them up and, and basically drag down the multiple. But my, my day to day is really focused on obviously bringing in um, platform deals, which are our lar- large deals. And then uh, the quote unquote tuck-ins or, or bolt-ons, which would go into those uh, larger regions that we bought. Um, but then, you know, I'd say that's probably 70% of my time doing that. And then the 30% would be the ad hoc projects, whether it be helping the finance team rebuild the, uh, you know, a budgeting model because they just didn't have the, 
the necessary skill set to do so, or my CEO liked the way I did it more that they like it was cleaner and it was easier to read and follow and was more dynamic. So, uh, you know, I'm doing something like that right now, actually, but helping rebuild the budget uh, in the three statement model. I've done things from helping HR figure out how to, you know, pay out um, when, we're, when we're buying a new practice, how to structure the, the equity piece and who gets what proceeds from. So it's, 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 it's That's cool, man. Right? Sounds fun. Sound, you're doing a lot of different <laughs> things. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, fun in the sense of like it's work, but it's, it's, uh, you're doing some interesting <laughs> stuff. It's strategy and, and it's a mix. So that's yeah, nice. Yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd rather be a professional athlete or a celebrity. But, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there we are. <laughs> well, man. Um, any other kind of final words of wisdom? Appreciate how open you've been and uh, all the, the kind of steps that, you know, anything you looking back, you're like, oh man, you know, should have done no, that. No, I mean, it's, I think there's a lot of um, kind of misconception that there's like a, a structured path. And if you don't like, if you don't get into private equity after the second year, and if you don't get into like a, a, a mega fund or like the end of the road for you, it's just like, you can really get anywhere you want if you, you know, work hard and you network. And, um, you know, I took a pretty un- unorthodox path. Um, and like, you know, you look back and I look at some of my friends that went the more traditional path and went to these mega funds and, now they're doing the same job I am and they're like three years behind me. So you never really know how, what, what path they, you, you know, people might knock a brand name, but it's really about the people you work with, the experience that, you know, just make sure you understand the experience you're going to get, the people you're going to work with and just constantly network. It's just, there's nothing more important than networking, I think. Yeah, I agree. Awesome, man. We'll leave it at that. Thanks so much for taking the time. Yeah, sure thing. Thanks, Patrick. Thanks for having me. And thanks to you, my listeners at Wall Street Oasis. If you have any suggestions whatsoever, please don't hesitate to send them my way, patrick at wallstreetoasis.com. Until next time.